All right, well, grab your Bibles and let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and we're going to make it through all of chapter 8 today, which is pretty ambitious for us, uh, and, uh, and, and so we'll, we'll just kind of plow our way through it. Albert Einstein famously said that information does not equal knowledge, and I would paraphrase that for our purposes today and say that information does not equal wisdom. Uh, We are living in the 21st century, we are uh, uh, inundated by information, and yet wisdom is a rare commodity, isn't it? Uh, Barry Schwartz is a a social scientist, and he he, uh, makes this point. He says, basically, in a culture where a culture lacks wisdom, it makes up for that wisdom, it substitutes rules and regulations and policies and procedures, Rules, because, right, all those things, because we don't need wisdom if we have a rule to go by. So he tells a story about Christopher Ratty and his son, Leo, a true story, by the way, his seven-year-old son, and Christopher just wanted to go to a baseball game with his young boy and give him a great day at the ballpark, so they went to a Detroit Tigers baseball game, and Christopher saw a sign that said, Mike's Lemonade 7.0. Lemonade. I'll buy some for my son. As those of you who don't know, it's a hard lemonade. It actually has liquor in it. And, and so he bought a lemonade for his son, gave it to his son. A security guard walks by, sees his young boy, his seven-year-old boy, Leo, drinking the hard lemonade. He confiscates the liquor from him. He hauls Christopher and Leo into a questioning room, holds them in custody. The police come and get them. They take Leo to the hospital to make sure that everything's okay with him. They, they put uh, Christopher at the police station. They eventually put Leo with child protective services. He's taken away from Christopher. He spends the night apart from his mom and dad. Finally, they release, by a judge's order, they release Leo to his mother, but Christopher couldn't even be near his son. He had to spend the night at a hotel. And all of this, eventually the family reunited, and all of it because as Barry Schwartz went back and looked at it, everybody was just following the rules. They didn't need wisdom. And Barry Schwartz says where we need rules in the absence of wisdom. He says, without wisdom, in fact, the best you can hope for is mediocrity. That without wisdom, people do stupid, preposterous, even ridiculous things because they're just following rules, just following policy, just following procedure. Now, look, thank God for rules, right? I mean, football would be ridiculous without rules. Okay, uh, traffic would be ridiculous without rules. Just go to a third world country, you'll see what I mean. They're just suggestions over there. It would, be, it would be crazy, right? But there are many things where rules don't help. In fact, it's not possible to regulate everything. Our lives, our world is simply too complex. And so this is one of the reasons the Bible cries out for wisdom. We desperately need wisdom. Okay, so when we turn to Proverbs 8... As you walk through, this this is a very convoluted passage, and Solomon is touching on a lot of different things, but let me just see if I can help frame it up. Essentially, here's what he's doing. He's celebrating wisdom, 
And then he kind of goes through and gives us, I would say, about five things. Some guys may be able to find more or less, but about five things to help us understand that wisdom comes to us at a crossroads. Wisdom helps us at all these various points in our lives because, because we don't have rules and regulations for everything. So he's going to celebrate wisdom, and then he's going to help us see how, you know, let let me show you how wisdom relates to this area of life and how wisdom relates to that area of life. Just sort of give us a smattering of areas of lives where where that touches on. Okay, so let's first look at how he celebrates it, and he says this, wisdom changes everything. It's the first thing I want you to see. Wisdom changes everything from the inside out. Everything from the inside out. So look at verse one. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. Okay, now, now here's what Solomon is saying. He's saying, look, not only is wisdom rare, it's, it's precious, and one of the reasons wisdom is so, so precious is because it changes those who have it from the inside out. And I'll show you why I say that. It makes men's face shine, okay? His face, a person's face, is no longer hardened by, say, disappointment or anger or bitterness. It's changed. Wisdom will literally change how you look. Now, I've seen that. Some of you have seen it with your own eyes. Some of you have seen it when you look in the mirror. Jesus came into your life, and we've said all along, when we see wisdom, we're talking about Jesus. Jesus is wisdom personified. Jesus came, he changed your life, and it didn't just change you on the inside. People would walk up and say, you look different. There's something different about you. Your face is shining, right? People aren't forcing a smile. They're not just saying, I'm fine, like we do at church. That's not it. No, no. They're saying something is fundamentally changed. That's what wisdom does. Wisdom doesn't just say, he's not saying smile when your heart is breaking. He's not saying put on a happy face. No, that's pretense. That's fake. Solomon is saying that when God gives you wisdom, it'll change you. In fact, he says in Proverbs 2, verse 10, wisdom will come into your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. His father David says in Psalm 34, 5, he says that people who look to the Lord are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Now, this isn't just a great metaphor, by the way. Wisdom brings joy to life. We're going to see that in a little bit. That changes everything, including your appearance. You, you can see it on people's faces and it comes from the inside. When something is pleasant to your soul, <laughs> Not just that was fun, but it's pleasant to your soul. You see it on people's faces. They can't help it. In other words, biblical wisdom will transform you from the inside out. That's a celebration. Now, now what he's going to do is he's going to start to kind of go, okay, now let's look at wisdom and some of these various areas of life, okay? And the first thing, these are so practical. I want you to see this incredible practical what Solomon does here, okay? So the first thing he's going to tackle is how wisdom relates to authority, Okay? So wisdom and authority, and, uh, and let's start, start reading. Verse 2, he says, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Okay, so, so one of the trickiest areas of our lives is dealing with those that God has put in authority over us. So in Solomon's words, the king, right? That could be a government official like a president or a senator or a mayor or a governor. It could be a pastor. It could be a parent. It could be an employee, employer, I should say. 
we live our lives, we are people that live our lives, all of our lives, under some kind of authority. So it's pretty important that we know how to deal with that. But these authorities aren't perfect, are they? In fact, go down to verse 9. He says, he observed that uh, while applying my heart to all this that is done unto the Son, when man had power over man to his hurt. I mean, some of these authorities are, are wicked. God gives people power. Sometimes they use it wisely. Sometimes they abuse it. Often they abuse it. With power comes responsibility, and with power comes the temptation to use it for our personal gain and at the expense of other people. That's not what Jesus has called us to do. That's what happens to a fallen, wicked human heart. So what do we do? What does it look like to live wisely under authority, to relate wisely to the authority that God has put in your heart? How do we honor God when it comes to the authorities that he's placed over us? Well, the overarching principle that the Bible teaches us is simply this, obedience. Obedience. That's what Solomon says right here. He says, I say, verse 2, keep the king's command. That's obedience, right? Jesus says in Luke chapter 20, verse 25, that we're to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, right? You're supposed to obey the authorities. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, the writer speaking to church people says, obey your leaders, your pastors, and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. You won't give an account for my leadership, I will. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says, children, obey your parents. So over and over, obedience, obedience, submission, all these things. So obedience, submission is the first principle of living wisely under authority. But why? Why should we do this? After all, Chris, I mean, why would we obey you or submit to you? You are as black-hearted as the rest of us. True, guilty. You know, Barack Obama is as sinful as the rest of us. I mean, we go on and on. All these authorities that God, why do we have to obey them? Why do we have to? They they are not morally superior, and that is never the Bible's reason for telling you to obey. In fact, Solomon tells you why to obey. Look what he says, because of God's oath to him. You know what that actually says? It doesn't say, it, it literally reads like this, because of the oath of God. That's exactly what it says in Hebrew. So translators look at that and say, oath of God to who? So is it to him? To, uh, to you, what's happening? Okay, he, he, here's what I think. The point is not that God has made an oath to the ruler and God needs your help to keep that promise to the ruler. That, that's not what's happening here. The point is that God has made a promise that I'm in charge, I will control everything, and that you can be assured of my control into relation, in relation to all rulers and authorities. My, my promise is simple, basically this. You can be assured that no matter who is in authority over you, no matter who is in power, I put them there and they are finally accountable to me and I'm still in control. Okay, so I mean there's all these scriptures in, in the Bible. Like Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world, and those who dwell. It's all mine. It's all mine. There's not one square inch that I don't claim ownership to. Proverbs 21, 1, one of my favorites. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. I love that. There is no king out there that just goes, I sovereignly make all my own decisions. God says, your your heart is in my hands. It'll do whatever I ask it to do. 
Daniel 2.21, he changes time, seasons, he removes kings, he sets up kings, he gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to those who have understanding. Romans 13.1, there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now listen, I don't know about you, that gives me a whole lot of sanity every election cycle. Right? Like, like I, don't, I don't need to be all like, you know, I got to tweet my frustrations and Facebook how I hate the president and the Congress and all these things. That gives me a whole lot of help in dealing with bosses. I'm going to tell you what. God in my life has given me a fair share, I hope they're not listening right now, of utterly insane bosses. And I, mean, I, I, I kid you not, I had a boss at one point who kicked a hole in my office wall. He threw a phone across the room. He was crazy. Dave, I love you. You're crazy, right? <laughs> see, see, a king may think, a boss may think, a pastor may think, a parent may think, I do whatever I want. And the Bible says, no, no, no. God is in the heaven. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 115. See, now that ought to make you breathe, breathe a little easier, right, when it comes to authority. This will make you wise. This will keep you saying, from doing, saying stupid things. Maybe you're thinking, okay, but Chris, what if these leaders are evil? What if they ask me? I mean, are there any limits to my obedience? Well, yes, of course. Your limits are the exact same thing that Peter says in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. He says, look, we have to obey God. We must obey God rather than men. That that is the limits to your obedience, right? So if there is a conflict between any authority in your life and and what what God says you you must do or not do, say or not say, if there's any conflict there, you obey God. I mean, so the husband, when the Bible says wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, it doesn't say women submit to men. It says wives submit to husbands. It, it, what wife, you know, so a husband comes and says, wife, you're supposed to submit to me. I want you to lie for me. I want you to look at porn with me. The, the wife can go, no, <laughs> I obey God. I don't obey you in this. A pastor comes to you and says, hey, let's all go to Guyana, South America and drink cyanide. You're crazy. No, we obey God, not man. Right, A president or a congressman or official says, you can no longer talk about Jesus. You can no longer exercise your Christian faith. Then you say, I'm sorry, I have to obey God rather than men. That might mean, Acts chapter 5, I'm beat. It might mean my head gets taken from my shoulders. But I have a higher authority. That's the limits. That's not all he says. He says in verse 3, don't be hasty to go from his presence. Don't, don't take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. He's talking about these leaders now. See, I think he's saying, look, don't be stupid when it comes to authority. Right? It's one thing to disagree with somebody who's an authority over you, your boss, right? Uh, a government official. It's another thing to take a stand against him in an evil cause. What would be evil? What would make it evil? Well, it would be evil to try and work in an ungodly, unchristian, unbiblical, underhanded way to undermine someone in authority. It would be evil to respond with evil. See, see, some of you don't get your way, and you respond with evil. Right? You scheme. Now listen, you may be right, 
in, in the thing you want to take a stand on, but the way you go about getting your point across, the way about you go about getting your way, the way you go about getting your agenda fulfilled or your project funded is evil. Right? You resort to gossip, to slander, you lie, you work to undermine the person that God has put over you, you badmouth your parents, you gossip behind a pastor's back, you revile politicians on social media, which we're supposed to, you know, we're not supposed to revile anyone, Paul says. It happens all the time. Wisdom isn't telling you to do that. That's folly. That's revenge. And revenge will never, ever, ever lead you to wisdom. It will lead you to wickedness, evil, and sin. And then he just says something real practical. I mean, look, at this guy's the boss. Look at verse 4. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? I mean, if this person is an authority over you, Solomon is saying they, they may use that authority against you. Understand this? They, they may actually, like, box you in, make it very difficult for you, fire you, whatever. Now, but here's the thing. At the bottom of the person that doesn't listen to verses one, 2 through 4, at the bottom is a person who, who refuses to believe that God is in sovereign control, a person that can't rest. And so you feel the need to take matters into your own hands rather than leaving them in God's hands. And you're foolish. Okay, so that's wisdom and authority. But how about this? This is very interesting. How about wisdom and timing? Now watch this. Look at verse 5. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise in heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. Did you hear it? Wise people, Solomon says, when wisdom has entered your heart, when Christ has transformed you, when you seek to walk in his way, he says these are people that know. He calls it the just way or the way in verse 5 and 6. And they are people that know when to do it. These are, they know the proper time or the time, verses 5 and 6. Even though their troubles lie heavy, they know what to do. They know when to do it. Listen, it's easy to know what to do and when to do when the issue isn't very complex. Should I go the speed limit? We, there's a rule, right? Yeah, we can follow that one pretty easy. Should I, should I marry this guy or girl or even keep dating him knowing full well they're not a follower of Jesus? That's pretty cut and dried in the Bible. No, just in case you need an answer. Okay, those are easy, easy answers. But when you're in the heat of the battle, when you are facing circumstances are tough, when you're being, things are being thrown at you that you're like, I don't know the answers. Now I'm in sort of this ambiguous place where I'm not sure what's going on. What do you do? Solomon says the wise heart. God will give you wisdom to know what to do and when to do it. Isn't that great? So you know, let me give you an example. Let's say a woman who finds out her husband's cheating on her. Should she get a divorce? Well, the Bible says she can. Okay? But should she? Well, that's a, that's a question for wisdom to answer. And it might be a different answer than yes. That's where wisdom has to come in. I don't know what to do here. This is not a place I ever dreamed. There's not a nightmare in the world that I thought would be like this. Wisdom will help you. 
Or what about timing, right? It'll help me know what to do, but how about when to do it? I mean, sometimes you can say the wrong thing at the wrong time and ruin everything, right? Parents, you ever done this with your kids? Husbands, you ever done this with your wives? Wives to husbands, right? I mean, friends, I mean, all these relationships, you feel the urge to just, I got to just say it, and you say it, and it backfires on you. Not because what you said was wrong, but because you thought, because it's in my mind, it ought to roll out of my lips, and I'll just say what I'm feeling. And the Bible says, no, a guy who does that is a fool. No, you, you didn't go to God. You didn't, you didn't say, hey, what's the proper time? I mean, how many, listen, I, I, I can't tell you how many times my wife has saved me from, you know, going off at both barrels and just like, I'm just going to jack somebody with my words right now. She said to me before, she, I actually recall a circumstance a few years ago where I was so angry at somebody, and I'm stupid, guys, I'm not, I, just dumb. I was so mad at this person for something pretty small. And I was getting ready to pick up the phone. For whatever reason, you know, God, whatever, just prompted me to call Michelle, and I tell her about the circumstances, and she's like, hey, whoa, slow down, you know? And she's like, how about this? How about you pray? (laughs) Okay. So I prayed. Like, okay, she's my wife. She's so smart. And rarely gives me bad advice. I'm going to listen to her advice. I pray. Unbelievable. I mean, I could tell you hundreds of examples, but, but, but in this one thing I'm thinking of, I mean, it wasn't five, six days that went by. This person walked into my office, and it was like a 180-degree turnaround. Now, what would have happened? What would have happened if I had just like, I want to talk now because I feel this so urgently. That's not God. That's not God saying, oh, you know, because you feel it so urgently, that's the power of the Holy Spirit surging through your veins right now, Chris. <laughs> no, maybe, maybe it's your fleshly, pagan, black-heartedness that's wanting to come out and just vomit on somebody. See, so, I mean, how many relationships, how many things would be different today if we would learn not only what to do by wisdom, but when to do it? Okay, how about this? How about wisdom and uncertainty? The uncertainty of life. <laughs> this is amazing. Look at, look at verse 7. For, for he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? Okay, so, so here, let's just real quickly, Solomon's saying life is uncertain. Okay, this person that's sort of struggling through these things, life is uncertain. Some har- sometimes, frankly, it's hard, so I want to know the right timing, but sometimes it's hard to know when the right time, it's hard to know what time it is. Sometimes life is so complex, the issues we face are so difficult, we don't know the wise thing to do. We don't know what the future will bring. No one can tell us what will happen in the days to come. Will you achieve your ambitions? Will you get your dream job? Will you get the promotion? Will you be married by the time you hope? Will you be able to have kids? Will the economy be good or bad? Will you be able to get the job? On and on it goes. I don't know what the future holds, right? But, but then Solomon sort of couches now. Watch what he does. He's going to say, let me give you the greatest uncertainty of all as an example. Look at verse 8. No man has the power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. 
And by analogy, he says, there's no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. Here's the basic point. Every one of us are in a war with death. And all of us are going to lose it someday. Right? We're all going to die. He said it over and over in a hundred different ways so far in eight chapters. Our days are numbered. Someday you're going to breathe your last and there's no amount of Pilates or green leafy spinach that's going to make you make one more breath. None. Right? So, so it's just not happening. The writer of Hebrews says it is appointed for man once to die and after that comes the judgment. We don't make our appointment with death. God, you know, I'd like to reserve this day because that seems really convenient. No, he goes, that's all in my timetable. That's something I determine in my sovereignty. So what Solomon is doing here in verses 7 and 8 is going, look, let me use the uncertainty of death as the ultimate example of uncertainty in your life. There are things beyond your control. You do not control your future. Right? Your future's in your hand. Baloney. Your future's in God's hands. We kid ourselves into thinking that somehow we control, we are masters of our destiny. No, you're not. And I'm not being fatalistic. I'm saying, look, nobody is like that. Nobody could see things coming. We're not, we're not, we're not seers. We don't have a crystal ball that shows us exactly how things are going to lay out. We, we trust in God. That's how it works. See, the wise way to live is not, I got to know everything that's going to happen to me because you'll go crazy. You won't. And the wise way to live is not to assume that, you know what, everything in my life will go my way. You know what? Can I say this? And probably this is some of your last Sunday here after I say this weekend here. Sometimes dreams don't come true. Sometimes all your goals in life don't happen. And I know Disney and everything out there wants to tell you differently. But that's true. And I don't say it to be a discouragement. I say, okay, so when that happens, what do you do? Do you rest and go, God, you're good, and I don't get this. I don't get this but you are in control of this and I trust you, right? You are controlling this universe. You are controlling my personal life for my good and your glory. Help me to submit to it. Wisdom and uncertainty. Now, how about this? Wisdom and wickedness, okay? Now, we, we wrestle with some really hard things. So, so, so look, at, look at verse uh, 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This is vanity. I mean, so Solomon goes, look, I'm taking my advice from back in chapter 7, verse 2. Remember he said it's good to go to funerals. So I went to a funeral, and I went to a wicked guy's funeral. I couldn't believe what I saw. People were celebrating this guy. He's awesome. He had a good heart. He was a good man, probably watching down from above right now, whatever above means. And they're praising him. And they're burying him like he's a hero. And Solomon goes, maybe, maybe this guy's a religious phony, right? He's, he came in and out of the holy place, right? So I don't know what's happening there, but maybe that's part of what's happening. 
And Solomon knew what he was really like. But people are praising, praising him. They're going, this guy's awesome. Look at what he did for this country. Look what he did for our community. Look what he did for me, whatever. And Solomon's like, look, yeah, but you, he screwed up his whole family. He cheated on his wife, whatever. I mean, I, the guy was a scoundrel, whatever, and, and his kids are strung out because their dad neglected him, and he's the guy, he's the guy that Solomon maybe describes in chapter 7, verse 1, when he says, you know, yeah, yeah, he, 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 he smelled really great on the outside, but on the inside, I mean, he was one of those guys, when you mention his name, everybody rolled their eyes. Solomon goes, this, this happens, right? I mean, there's, there's wickedness in the world, and sometimes it feels like it's unresolved. Keep going, look at verse 11. He says, because the sentence against, here's why this is happening. The sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Now skip down to verse 14. There is vanity that takes place in the earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. We talked about it last week. I mean, we are programmed to think of everything in terms of karma. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. And Solomon goes, no, that just doesn't work that way. I mean, if that's the way the universe is made up, then it's broken. Solomon says, look, if only evil were punished as soon as it was done, wickedness might be deterred. Like if you caught the guy red-handed and you could take him in the back and shoot him, it might deter some people. Maybe if A-Rod, you know, in the early days of his steroid use, he'd actually been caught and prosecuted, maybe a lot of Major League Baseball wouldn't be into steroids. Maybe that would have happened. And Solomon looks at the world and goes, no, 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 but you know what really happens for every hundred acts of injustice and wickedness? Maybe one person is caught. So so guess what happens when you see a guy cheat in Major League Baseball or cycling or on his exams or taxes or on his wife? Guess Guess what happens to those guys most of the time? Nothing. Nothing. And so if there are perceived, there are no perceived consequences for sin, then, then why not just go on sinning, right? Why not just, right on. You're not, you're, you have a pretty minimal chance of getting caught, so just go ahead and sin, right? It's a good question. Well, why shouldn't we? Well, because there are consequences. Look what Solomon says in verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, and prolongs his life. Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him, but it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. See, Solomon goes, look, there's something now that I know. I know. I don't just see it experientially. I know something. If you fear God, he says, things will go well in the end. If you don't, things go very bad. Solomon, if you will, we've t- talked about it before. He's seeing life. He's seeing life under the sun, and he calls it vanity, and he's looking, if you will, under like a, a loom, a weaver's loom, and underneath it, it looks like this bunch of crazy random threads. I don't know what's happening. And now he says, through the eyes of faith, I now rise above, I see, and now I know something. And I can see below, I see the end of those who fear God and those who don't. Look, there's only two kinds of people in this world, people who fear the Lord and people who don't. Those whose, let's say it this way, those whose lives are God-centered and those whose lives are blank-centered. What is the blank? Possession, money, children, family, 
life, career. I mean, fill in the blank. There's two kinds of people. You are either God-centered or you're something else-centered. And they will have radically, radically different ends, Solomon says. So he says, look, this, this life will be difficult. This life will be unfair. <laughs> Not everything will work out as you planned. But you have to take a longer view. That's what Solomon is saying. Right? This life isn't the end, and only the eyes of faith will allow you to see that. Otherwise, you will act very foolishly, and this life will be all the blessing you will ever know. And that's tragic. This, this life, as Randy Alcorn says, you, you, your, your actual existence goes on for eternity. You understand this? You don't cease to exist when you die. And so this entire life, your entire 65, 70, 75, 80 years is lived in this little tiny dot. And there's a line that extends out of this dot that goes on forever and ever. And most people live for the dot and not for the line. And the Bible says live for the line and not for the dot. See, Solomon says, man, yeah, there's wickedness. This world is crazy. I can't, I can't make sense of it all. Things don't always work out as we planned. And that's not popular, and that doesn't sell books. And you don't go on TV saying that, but the Bible says it. You know, somebody has once said that the job of a pastor is to help people live well and die well. And you know why people don't die well? They're so disappointed. They think... They think their lives were a waste. They think things were supposed to go better than they actually did. The Bible is just a, a splash of realism in a world of phoniness. It's selling you a line. And the Bible says, here's the reality. It's not being pessimistic. It's saying, will you trust God? Can you trust God when it seems like your life isn't working out the way you planned it to work out? Because there's wickedness in the world. And you can still trust God. You can still fear him. Your life can be God-centered in the middle of that. It's the only way to live. Okay, one last thing. He says wisdom and joy. Now look at this. Look at verse 15. And I commend joy. So after setting everything, right, I commend joy. For man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night uh, do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot see out of the work that is done in the sun. However, much man may toil in, in seeking he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. There's a lot we could say about this. Let me just say it this way. Solomon says, look, when you, when you understand everything I've just said, right, what he's just said, 
Have you understand the blessing of wisdom? When you realize there is no authority that is outside of God's sovereign control, when you know what to do and when to do it, when you know that your future is in God's hands, when you aren't troubled by the seeming injustice of wickedness, when God is the center of your life, he goes, then guess what? What do you do? He goes, you know what you do? You call your friends. Hey, let's go to dinner, and let's eat something really good, and let's drink something really good, and let's laugh, and let's play Catan, and let's trust God, and let's go to bed, and let's sleep well tonight. This is how wisdom will help you live sanely in the midst of a very crazy, weird, can't-wrap-my-mind-around-it world. Right, the cure to vanity, <laughs> this emptiness, this absurdity of the world around us is wisdom. So, okay, so let's talk. Where are you? Where are you with wisdom? And by that, I mean, where are you with Jesus, the one who gives you wisdom? Like, do you know the blessing of wisdom? Do you know the blessing of a life that has Christ, that has God at the center? Has it come into your heart through Jesus Christ and changed you from the inside out? Do you know that? And if so, do you see wisdom manifested in your life like we've talked about? Like, are you obedient to the authorities that God has placed in your life, or do you push against them with all of your might. Do you? Are you seeking to discern not only what to do, but when to do it? Or do you just speak your mind? That's what I'm not, you know, that's who I am. I just say what I think. And people talk like that, like that's a compliment. Well, good for you. You're a jackass. So there you go. Is that you? Do you feel secure in your future because you know it's in God's hands? Do you? Are you taking the long view when you look around at the wickedness of the world and it actually looks like wickedness in our culture is winning and wicked people are living a better life than you? Is God your center or is something else? Anything but God. Anything else in that blank. See, because if you answer, you know, no, those things aren't true of me, Chris. Like, I, I, I'm not following what Solomon says. Then, then you know your homework. Right? You, you know what to do. You go home and you do what's called repentance. You turn and you say, Jesus, change me. Jesus, I need you. I got to have this kind of wisdom in this crazy world. I can't make sense of it, but you're God and you're in control and I trust you. But if you look and say, no, 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 by the grace of God, Chris, those things are real to me. Like I can see them operating in my life. Then here's your homework. Tonight, get your friends together. Go eat a delicious meal. Right? Order some good, good food. Order some good drinks like Coke. Laugh, play, go to bed tonight and rest in a merciful, sovereign, good 
gracious God. Because you can trust him. Let's pray.